Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Piria and Elizabeth Zhovkova. Our next guest speaker is Alexis Pauline Gams, an acclaimed poet and scholar. In this intimate and candid conversation, we dive into the poetical worlds of philosophy, black feminism, and the concepts of mothering and daughtering, with an invisible labor standing behind the two. Today, we ask Alexis her thoughts about the current state of apocalypse, never-ending healing, community-building ethics, the legacy of one of the most powerful individuals of modernity, Audre Lorde, and Afro-Caribbean culture. Hi, Alexis. Thank you so much for doing this conversation with us. We really appreciate your time. Uh, we have a few questions for you, and I'll start with mine. How would you describe your journey from a little girl to becoming an acclaimed poet and a scholar? How was the social consciousness maturing in you? Uh, is there any memory that stands out that you can share with us as formative in your career, uh, in your career decision and development? Yeah, thank you for having me here. I'm I'm excited to be here. I was thinking about this and I had this memory that when I was a little girl, I would look at pictures of the big cats, like the panthers and the leopards and the cheetahs and I would just look them in the eye. I don't know what what it was about all my little projects when I was in um school were presentations about the lynx, the leopard, but, you know, each, each of those different, each of those different cats. And it, it was like a, something about looking them in the eye that was thrilling for me. And so some of the first writing that I did was about these big cats and then they could fly and then they were purple because that was my favorite color. You know, So I, I had these, um, I had this identification. And now when I think about it, I'm like, what was it really about? Because, because I have also some synergy with some of the gazelles and like the animals that those cats hunt and, and destroy. So I was like, I wonder if I was thinking about my own mortality at such a young age. So I still have more thinking to do with this question. This question was really generative to me. I think that what I know that I've used my writing for since that time is to create a connection across a perceived difference, right? Like I know I'm not a leopard, right? But what about this world where the leopard can talk and where it can be a part of my life in this type of way? And I still see that happening with the writing I do. I'm thinking about how this intense longing to understand what maybe I'll never understand gets worked out in in the forms that I get to write in. So I think that, I don't know if it's a consciousness that was developing, but there's this long nurtured desire for connection that I see in my writing for sure since I was since I was a little panther loving girl. <laughs> Thank you for sharing these beautiful memories with us Alexis. 
Um, you are known as a scholar of black feminism, mothering, daughtering, and Afro-Caribbean literature. Could you expand on the notions of mothering and daughtering, please, as well um, as your work in relation to Audre Lorde? Yeah, so Audre Lorde is the, is the person who offers this quote that I think is so provocative and I think it will be fascinating to me forever. In her essay, Eye to Eye, Black Women, Hatred and Anger, she says, we can learn to mother ourselves. And it's, it's an incredible essay. I really recommend it to everyone. She, ta- she writes about her experience as a daughter. She writes about her experience as a mother. She writes about um, her relationships with other Black women and what it is to recreate and reclaim those relationships in a context of internalized oppression. And I think that the ideas of motherhood and daughter status in side of capitalism, inside of a version of capitalism that has shaped me, that has been overdetermined by slavery. The idea of motherhood is a, is a particular labor, exploited labor category and status. And the idea of daughter is also a particularly exploited labor category and status. And with this possibility that Audre Lorde writes about, we can learn to mother ourselves. There's this reclaiming. What if the energy of mothering, which is work, which is a form of labor, and then also the energy of daughtering, which is work and is a form of labor that that I experience. What if we could reclaim that in a revolutionary way? What if we could reclaim all the energy of that labor towards creating a world that we want, where we get to unlearn the forms of oppression that have harmed us and that have taught us to harm each other. And so I'm very fascinated by that, by that possibility. So my work returns to that over and over again. I feel blessed to have collaborated with Maya Williams and China Martins on an anthology, Revolutionary Mothering, where we bring together different different people thinking about this idea of mothering and how it can be revolutionary and what it, what it can mean when we, when we focus on the action of mothering more than the status of motherhood and the, um, the function within patriarchy that motherhood has been invented to play. Alexis, how about right now? What plays a central role right now in your practice and what's coming next for you? Right now, I'm writing a biography of Audre Lorde. So, of course, we already talked about her. I'm I'm so inspired by the great poet Audre Lorde. She She is a daughter of the Caribbean. She is a New York City born and raised poet. She was the New York State poet um, at the time of her of her passing. And she's one of the first people to write from a feminist perspective, especially a Black lesbian feminist perspective about the politics of breast cancer, just truly a revolutionary figure and someone who has been 
life-saving for me. Her, her work has been a space that has sustained and supported me since I was in high school. And so she's part of that story of what, what is the consciousness raising from my, from my earliest days to, to these days. And I love writing about Audre Lorde. And I, of course, that's, the, that's one of the things is that I'll never um, really finish <laughs> writing about Audre Lorde. But for the particular form of this biography, it's been, it's been wonderful to talk with people who knew her. It's been um, exciting to go back into, into her writing and into her archive. Her archives are at Spelman College, and I was honored to be the first person to go, go there and research in those archives. And, you know, I mean, her journals when she was in high school and the poetry that she was writing even then, it's, it's such a gift to be able to think about the life of someone who's been so influential on many people, but on, on me for sure, when she was still becoming that person. You know, where she was still learning what her own relationship was to silence and to desire and to poetry itself. And so it's um, it's it's a great joy. it's a it's a dream come true. And it's also teaching me to think about Audrey Lord, but maybe also life as like human life as not separate from every other force and energy in the universe. Audre Lorde understood herself very much as part of this earth and part of this universe in very literal ways. And so it's been a really joyous challenge to write about her from that perspective as a force in the universe. And it means that I draw on meteorology and astronomy and geology and um, so many, her own love for science fiction, you know, it's, it's a very nerdy biography is, is basically what, a, what I'm saying. But, um, but really writing about Audre Lorde has caused me to relearn the universe. And I'm really grateful for that. Thank you, Alexis. Um, after you shared more about uh, your deeply spiritual journey and how you shaped your research practice. My last question for you is a more philosophical one. Our current season is entitled Apocalypse Here. In your opinion, is there hope for humanity as Audrey Lord carries a lot of healing in her words? Or is there really no life post-apocalypse? Yeah, this is such a, an interesting question. And I think it's so fascinating, you know, that this is what you're, you all are focusing on for this season. And I'm excited to listen to what everyone else has to say also. I would say that, well, there's, I mean, there's a few things. It's a, it's a rich and layered question. Audre Lorde's work has been very healing for me. And though, when you read Audre Lorde's poetry, especially, her poetry is very apocalyptic. Most of her poems come out of nightmares and her own nightmares that she was processing through her poetry. And some of them are, are very apocalyptic landscapes. You know, she's, she's crawling on the raw edge of gunshot wounds. She, you know, there, there are all of these things that are happening. And the miracle 
is that in these apocalyptic circumstances, there is still something to say, right? That, that's, that's what I find in her poetry over and over again. And there's a question. Every time I read Audre Lorde's poems, you know, I read them over and over again. There's always a question for me, like a question that I need to ask myself towards my own transformation. And so there's something that it's not very, it's not like particularly warm and fuzzy healing, but it is, it is healing in that it, it really offers something towards that transformation. And I would say that, you know, apocalypse here reminds me of the fact that I know that there is life after apocalypse because there have been apocalypses, you know, like the transatlantic slave trade absolutely was apocalyptic and, and is not over. And yet there's still life beyond that. And the genocide here in North America and in South America of all of this indigenous land um, being the land itself being exploited, but also the people being decimated is, is apocalyptic. It's definitionally apocalyptic. And yet we survive. There is still indigenous survival and existence on and in this land, despite the apocalypse of colonialism. And none of that is to say that these forms of mass violence are less apocalyptic than they are. It's just to say that apocalypse is not only in the future, which is, which is what I think is so resonant about titling this season apocalypse here. It's, it is true that we are facing consequences, especially environmental consequences of human action that have devastating impact in the next few years because of what um, what the pollution is, what the how the um, temperature is changing directly because of human action at this time. And it's also true that apocalypse apocalypse is a mode of reality within colonialism and capitalism. They are apocalyptic systems, not because they eventually produce an apocalypse, but because they are inherently destructive. So that's, and that's one of the things that Audre Lorde and, you know, many other Black feminists think about is that we are charged with creating and revealing life-giving systems in the face of profoundly destructive systems that are structuring our daily lives. And so that's part of what the project of revolutionary mothering is and was, is to say that even though there's a dominant destructive system that we are surviving or not surviving, 
in this apocalypse. There are actually life-giving systems of love that marginalized people are creating by nurturing and collaborating with and loving each other. These systems exist. They are, um, they are often criminalized. They are often lied about. They are sometimes hidden and ignored. But that's, that's also something that I want to say is that, you know, post-apocalyptic alternatives also are already here. They're not something that will eventually happen after, after these systems destroy so many things that they can't destroy any more things. There's the, the fact that the fact that indigenous people, the fact that African people kidnapped and transported to the Americas exist and create is evidence of that. That this is one of the things that Barbara Smith, uh, a friend of Audre Lorde, a very important influence on me, a founding figure of contemporary black feminism says, she said this in a conversation, in a conversation that we had years ago when I interviewed her, she said, we know there were organizers on those enslaving ships. We know that because we're still here, right? And so, so I, I would say that too. I think it's so important to reveal these systems of destruction for what they are. And certainly that's part of the work that you all are doing here. And I think that it's also important for us to reveal and acknowledge the existence of systems, deeply embedded systems, strong practices of life-giving love that have been here and that continue to be here and that will continue to be here. Alexis, I have another question for you, if that's okay. Uh, I came across your work when reading Remember Nature, book edited by uh, Hans Ulrich Obrist and Kostas Tessinopoulos. Uh, I would love to know more about your work in relation to environmentalism and climate change. Can you share with us uh, some of your practices and experiences in that regard? Yeah, it. it... It does. I mean, so the so the piece in Remember Nature is is a coal oracle, and it's because it's inspired by Audre Lorde's poem Coal, which is one of her most remembered poems, and she has a whole book called Coal. And she has this concept of for her a definition of blackness that is energetic and earth-based and is is coal and um and that transforms across time and that you know ignites and heats all the all the things that are true about about coal and we also know that the burning of coal and the, and the use of coal and the extraction of coal from the earth has been a major part of the environmental crisis that we are in and that and that we are part of at this time and and so that it pushes us to think about energy, you know, and to think about our energy and black energy and then dark matter and energy of the universe. All, all of those things I see as invitations that, that we get from Audre Lorde's work. In, 
in my work, yeah, it, it, it's, it's always, I mean, I didn't know the term eco-feminist. Um, I also didn't know the term hydro-feminist <laughs> until recently. There's, there's, there's terms, um, but I think that they describe what, what, I, what I think about and what I do. My, my most recent book is called Undrowned Black Feminist Lessons from Marine Mammals. And when we think about marine mammals, we think about what it means to live in the ocean, what it, it means to live on this planet as the ocean rises because of, because of um, human actions that are melting the icebergs. It's, it's impossible for me to write about life, to write about the future to write about mothering or daughtering or black feminism without understanding what Audre Lorde said. Audre Lorde said, you know, we have all these, we have all these differences. We need to have these conversations where we really activate the creative power of difference. But if there's no way for the earth to hold us here because we've so harmed this environment, we can't have any conversations about anything, you know, like the, a, a precondition for any of the work that she saw as Black feminist work is that we come into right relationship with the planet itself. So, so yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm always thinking about that one, because as I said, I have a long kinship, understanding that I have a kinship with other mammals and I can't explain all of it, but it's it's a it's a deep longing and it's a part of what it means to me to be alive. But also because as a Black feminist scholar, I trace and see again and again this writing about home, what it is to make a life-giving context for our creativity and for our existence. And that is an ecological question. It, it can't be separated from any ecological question. I think that separation is something that um, maybe has been a part of Western thought, um, but you know, the, the great black theorist Sylvia Winter would say that it is that form of separation, like that anything could not be an ecological question that has made capitalism make sense, that has made colonialism make sense, that has made slavery make sense as a part of the Western project. And that's not the Black feminist project. The Black feminist project has been given all of this and seeing all of this, how do we, how do we love each other and practice perpetual action that is life-giving and renewing and healing? And we're not doing that in the imaginary, we're doing that as earth, on earth, with earth. Thank you for this beautiful and powerful note, Alexis, and for the conversation. We wish you all the best with your deeply inspirational and profound work. Yes, thank you both so much. 
Blessings on the exhibition. Thank you for talking kind of late at night where you where you are. I appreciate it. Um, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your night and it's great to meet you both. Thank you.